This is Masonic Muscle, and we are about to get in another session, Masonically strengthening your body, mind, and soul. I hope everyone is well. I hope everybody had a good Christmas. Uh, judging from what I've been seeing on posts and, and talking to my friends, it sounds like you all did have a good Christmas, so good. So let me get to it, man. I'm going to read an article from Bill Hinsburn's Bill Hinburn's world-famous super-strength training newsletter. And he had this to say. Here's another age-old question that gets tossed around endlessly with no conclusive proof on either side of the table. Is weightlifting an art or a science? All I can say is this. From my point of view, I think it is and should be both. Should you have a different take on this subject, then I would like to hear it. To start, it would seem to me that a science, any science, would simply mean the study of. In higher learning, especially at the collegiate level, the intellectual community likes to add ology on the end of the subject matter that they wish to study. I'm sure you have heard of a number of subjects with names like biology, zoology, bacteriology, gigantology, hematology, et cetera, et cetera. And in each and every case, the students in these classes will gather information and look at things the way that sounds that thousands of other people before them did for hundreds of years. Is this important? Absolutely. If you are interested in a subject, you've got to start somewhere. Just like in Freemasonry, brothers, you've got to start somewhere. What better place than where others have struggled, stumbled, fallen, got back up, and moved on? However, if that is as far as it goes, things tend to get a little stagnant. Like General George S. Patton once said, if everyone is thinking alike, then somebody isn't thinking. That's when people should start becoming individuals. Look at things from their own perspective. Gather what works for them, set aside what doesn't, and add their own spin to it. Just as the great martial artist Bruce Lee once remarked, research your own experiences for the truth. Absorb what is useful. Reject what is useless. Add specifically what is your own. From my point of view, this is where something starts to become an art. The same rings true with progressive resistance exercise. Start out by looking at what others are doing. Check them all out and keep checking them out. Never stop. Try this. Try that. This works. This doesn't, etc. What you are doing is developing your own method of training, that which works for you. Einstein did it in nuclear physics. Picasso did it in art. Henry Ford did it in manufacturing. Thomas Edison did it in technology. And the list goes on and on and on. Another pioneer in the field of weightlifting did exactly what we are talking about. He started out by studying what others were doing at the time, added his own slant on things based on his own strengths and weaknesses, and at a very young age, became a champion in his own right. Later, like most people who are at uh, who are the best at what they do, 
he decided to pass his secrets along to others in the form of several publications. And then he, you know, says, uh, click on the following link and read just how Britain's strongest man could bent press over 300 pounds and lift his mysterious 172 pound unliftable challenge dumbbell in the Thomas Inch, the Scarborough Hercules. Inch was the real deal. Not only amazingly strong as a young man, but unlike other strong men, he maintained his astounding strength well into advanced years. Until the next time, yours for greater strength, Bill Hinburn. For those of you who have not visited Bill Hinburn's website, it is superstrengthtraining.com, I believe. It's got probably the biggest collection of weightlifting and strength training, uh, you know, hard to find books. And he's been doing this for years, for years and years and years. I go to this website. I, as a matter of fact, I just went to his website and ordered some books. I have them here at the house and I talked to him on the phone and, uh, you know, it was a great conversation. We had a conversation about the many books that I have bought and I'm going to be bringing him on the show and to interview him. And I want to pick his brain and let you hear what he has to say, uh, who has, who he has, uh, uh, known throughout the years who has talked to and maybe who some of his favorite people uh, you know of all time were i thought i mentioned jack lane and yeah of course he knew about him so anyhow that's the portion on uh exercise get out there and get it all of you i hope you are hey i know if you're like me and my family and many friends you guys ate a ton we ate like little pigs. So we just collected all kinds of calories and cholesterol and all kinds of gunk in our, in our veins. So it's time to work out. It's time to help the body get rid of that. It's, it's time to help the body uh, get stronger and the mind get stronger and helping us to feel better. Take your vitamins, get out there and get the sun, you know, drink plenty of water, entertain better thoughts so that you help your body and mind work together as one. I want to share with you a, an article that I found. It was written in 1949, and it's on the rituals of Freemasonry. The article's name is uh, Notes on the Craft Ritual. Now, I haven't shared too much about the craft ritual. And, you know, on the uh, when you look up, Masonic muscle, when you read the title, you're going to read that, you know, I'm focused on, you know, the mysterious origins of Freemasonry along with its history, its traditions, its symbols. Well, here's one of the things that, you know, I'm saying I'm going to cover, and that's the ritual. Where did it come from? This article was written by Ward K. St. Clair, and he was a member of the Philalethy Society, and he was out of West Williston, New York. And like I said previously, it was written in 1949, in March of that year. This is what he had to say during that time. A full history of the Masonic craft ritual would require a lifetime of study and several volumes of printed material. Ain't that the truth? The present article, for obvious reasons, 
We'll touch only briefly upon the background and some of the possible sources from which our American craft ritual was derived. While it is undoubtedly true that the ritual used in craft lodges today in conferring the degrees of entered apprentice, fellow craft, and master mason took form during the 18th century and very possibly during the latter part of that century, the basic contents and part of the symbolism of that ritual can be traced to earlier times. As one studies the ritual of the Masonic order, an appreciation of the wealth of knowledge and cultural background of the originators must be acknowledged. Perhaps measured according to the standards of today, the brethren of old may have failed to qualify as students of men of culture. However, we must remember the difficulties in obtaining printed or written material in those days. Books, magazines, newspapers, and even letters were difficult to obtain and more difficult to transmit from place to place. The originators of our ritual apparently had a good knowledge of the Holy Bible and of its symbolism. Also, they were familiar with the writings of the earlier ages. A general knowledge of the Bible was understood as this was the one book pretty well distributed. There are numerous examples of a knowledge of early books other than the Bible. One such example is the reference to the two pillars. Hey, hey. Sound familiar, huh? I've talked about the two pillars many, many times. And I'm going to keep talking about the two pillars. But he's talking about the two pillars right here back in 1949. Also, they had a basic knowledge of science and architecture. A study of the purposes and aims of those who first compiled our ritual would be an interesting one. However, this is not the time or place. In the paragraphs to follow, Please bear in mind that we are speaking of conditions existing in the 18th century and regarding lectures and rituals used at that time. Since then, there have been changes which would alter the picture if we thought it in these later terms. Prior to the period 1717 to 1723, which saw the formation, uh, where am I at? Uh, which saw the formation of the Grand Lodge of England, masonry existed as individual lodges associated in a great work, but loosely tied, if at all, by any central organization. Prior to this period, say before 1700, Masonic lodges were mostly operative groups whose purpose was to band together for self-protection, self-advancement, and self-education for those skilled in the trade of stone masons and builders of cathedrals, castles, and similar stone edifices. When the lodges changed from operative to speculative, or upon the formation of speculative lodges, is a subject still open to discussion. For the purpose of this article, it need be said that such a change took place sometime prior to 1717 to 1723. During the period of the operative lodges, a ritual apparently played a minor part. Each lodge had a copy of the rules and regulations and certain other information, which was read to the initiate. This material is currently known as the old manuscripts or old charges. Numerous versions of these manuscripts are in existence. And while most of them date from the 1600s, 
they are sufficiently similar to indicate a common source, probably of an earlier date. Those of an origin of the latter part of the 17th century contain lectures or catechisms which have been incorporated in our rituals. Just what use was made of the lectures or their purpose in the early manuscripts can only be surmised. We can assume they were used to instruct the members. Soon after the formation of the Grand Lodge of England in the period 1717 to 1723, the issuance of a book of constitutions and charges was authorized by that body. This publication became known as the Anderson Constitution because it was prepared by Dr. James Anderson. This book contains material which has found its way into our ritual. In 1735, a William Smith issued a monitor or handbook of the lectures. This publication was not officially approved. It was called a pocket companion for Freemasons. It was probably the first attempt at a compilation of the work of the lodge into book form and which can be considered to be semi-official. Of course, soon after the formation of the Grand Lodge, there appeared several publications which claimed to be exposures of the Masonic work. The first of these was published in 1724 under the title of The Grand Mystery of the Freemasons Discovered. This publication was the first of a number of such type of publications to extend into the early part of the 19th century. Just how accurate they were, we can only assume. They never had official status. The ritual in the 18th century, and for that matter in many jurisdictions, even today, has not been committed to writing and has been passed from mouth to ear. It is the only way in which the secrecy of the ritual can be assured, although it handicaps the student. There are in existence manuscript copies of rituals which are said to have been the workings of various lodges during the 1700s. They are sufficiently similar to indicate they are perhaps authentic. However, they have never been printed and are difficult to obtain. The next important step or milestone in the development of the ritual was the publication of the book by William Preston in 1772, which he entitled Illustrations of Masonry. It contained much, if not all, of the exoteric part of our ritual, and it was undoubtedly the basis of Thomas, Webb's, Thomas Smith's Webb's ritual, which has become known as the Webb-Preston work. And this work has been the source of a great deal of discussion, both pro and con, among the members of the various Grand Lodges of the United States during the middle of the last century. With these few brief remarks regarding the ritual in England, let us now turn our attention to the United States. Freemasonry was introduced into this country principally by military lodges operating under charters or warrants from the Grand Lodges of England, Ireland, and Scotland. Thus, it is natural that our ritual should have come from those three places. The Irish ritual did not play as important uh, a part as did the English and the Scottish. The Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania in 1797, adopted the Irish ritual and has made only minor changes since then. Even these minor changes have been relatively few in number, so that today, Pennsylvania uses a ritual which is almost 
identical to that used by the Grand Lodge of Ireland and one which is practically the same as the one used in 1797. The American ritual in general follows the Scottish as regards floor work and the English as to the content of the lectures. Perhaps we should state that we refer to the English work of the Preston era. Thomas Smith Webb probably had more to do with the formulation of the American craft ritual than any other American Freemason. Whether or not Webb wrote the ritual is a subject open to discussion. However, he did the formulation and was the guiding light in the work. For years, he was the principal lecturer and advocator of the work, which is now the basis of the majority of the rituals used in the various grand jurisdictions of this country. In the formation of this ritual, he drew heavily upon Preston's illustrations of masonry, as is evidenced by a comparison of early manuscripts of the web ritual with the Preston book. Webb had as his students such leading masons of his time as John Barney of Vermont and John Snow, who later lived in Ohio. Barney spent some time with Webb learning the work, then returning to his home state, where he taught it in his Grand Lodge and finally had it adopted as the official work of that jurisdiction. Later, Barney moved to the West and he was at one time the official lecturer of the jurisdiction of Ohio. He traveled through the state of Vermont and attended the convention in Baltimore, Maryland in 1843, when efforts were made to secure the adoption of a national ritual. He also lectured in Illinois, so it can be seen that his influence was widespread. During the period of 1840 to 1870, there was a great revival of interest on the part of various Grand Lodges in this country to obtain and adopt the true working. As a result of this revival, rituals were adopted by the various Grand Lodges, and with few exceptions, these rituals were based upon the web work. That is from, again, that, that is from uh, 1949, March. And that was written by Ward K. St. Clair out of East Willingston, New York. I found that not only interesting, uh, but very, very uh, enlightening. Because when we join the craft and we begin to attend, for most lodges, believe I can honestly say for most lodges, um, other than your catechism and maybe, you know, maybe Grand Lodge has put out some, you know, some study guides or, uh, you know, uh, interdependence guidebook or fellow craft guidebook or, and, you know, you read it, it's 20, 30 pages and, and a lot of tremendous work went into putting these guidebooks together. And it was done with the purpose and intent of someone within the lodge taking the bull by the horns and beginning to uh, share that with the, you know, with the new candidate, with the new EA or fellow craft or master mason. And some of that, some of this is hinted at, some of this has gone into. I know here in California, it is uh, maybe not in, in that much detail, but it is hinted at. And uh, we're, we're even given 
uh, history of where our ritual came from here in California, what, what composes it. And it is Preston Webb. And, you know, how many, how many jurisdictions were represented when, Grand, when the Masons got together here in California and formed the Grand Lodge of California. But not enough goes into that actual study that, or that, you know, that little tidbit that I just read which would give a lot, a lot better connection to our past because it gives even more, uh, you know, it, it, it clarifies a lot of things for you and gives you a, a solid foundation for further research. You know, the Lodge gets caught up really quick in wanting to initiate, pass and raise a brother, and then they want to stick them in a chair and then they want to just, and, you know, next thing you know, they get caught up in a whirlwind and they didn't really learn anything. They, we didn't give them the time to, uh, to absorb a lot of what Freemasonry has to offer. And so that's why a lot of these podcasts are popping up because they feel that that's the way it should be. And of course, if lodges began to do that, you would have to slow everything down. And um, as of right now, from what I can see and in, in my experience, I can, I can tell you right now that a lot of lodges don't want to slow it down. And they're not going to slow it down. They're going to continue to go on business as usual and pump these uh, candidates through the degrees and didn't give them really any, any, uh, further light in masonry in that regard and it doesn't matter uh brethren whether it's it's an esoteric you know uh education or a mystical education or a conspiratorial education it doesn't matter what your lodge has decided on as long as they gave it to that inner apprentice fellow craft master mason and even the master masons that have been master masons for years and years and years that's not the point. The point is that a group of men, you know, hopefully uh, influential members of that lodge got together and they discuss what it is that they want to share with the members that they're about to make, that they're about to initiate, pass and raise, and then stick to it. You know, stick, stick to that plan. See what's working. See what isn't. Uh, get rid of just like uh, the earlier uh, article that I read on exercise where the young man, you know, Thomas Inch, he, he got interested in, in weightlifting and he, you know, he, be, he decided, he began to study what other people had done before and he began to experiment and what was working, he kept it, what wasn't, he, he dis discarded it. And then according to your strengths and weaknesses, it's the same thing with the lodge. It's the same thing because once you get this settled and then once you begin to practice it and promote it, you're going to strengthen yourself just like you would strengthen yourself weightlifting or exercising or walking or running or swimming, uh, wrestling, whatever type of physical activity you're going to decide to do. You're going to keep tweaking it until you attain the level of fitness and health that you're looking for. And it's the same thing with the lodge. And yeah, does it take time? Yeah, it does. Does it take effort? Yes, it does. So Brethren, you, you, you are the masters of your own destiny. Don't leave it up to one guy. Don't throw it all on him. It's, it's a combined effort. 
And if you brother and get together, you have to know, you have to assess your own strengths and weaknesses. Every single one of you. So you can see uh, who's going to, uh, you know, pretty much shoulder the, uh, the, the load. But at the same time, there are things that everyone can, should be knowing and should be doing. All right. So that's what I have for you today. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you write in. I hope you, uh, you know, write to me, email to me at uh, MasonicMuscle357 at gmail.com. Give me your thoughts. Tell me what you, you know, what you would like to hear. And, uh, you know, we'll, if I can reach out to you, if I have the time, I'll, you know, I would love to talk to you and see, you know, what, what you have going here. Uh, if you haven't listened, you know, uh, share this with your friends, share this with your other brothers. And I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep speaking my truth. I'm going to keep speaking, you know, what, what I've seen and what I've experienced. And I'm going to keep sharing it with you. And I'm going to keep encouraging all of you brethren to take control of your level of fitness, to take control of what goes in your mind and uh, take control. If you are active in a lodge, get out there, see what you can do, know what all your tools are. Especially here in the state of California, we have many, many tools. Read them, study them, uh, share them with the lodge, and keep pounding at that door until you begin to get the experience that you're looking for. This is Masonic Muscle. Masonically strengthening your body, mind, and soul. Get out there and get it.